Welcome to the latest episode of Schneps Connects. Today we have Vlad Bautista, who is the co-founder of The Happy Monkey. The Happy Monkey is a brand that's internationally known, and it's a New York City lifestyle company that's synonymous with cannabis culture. Cannabis became Vlad's lifestyle once he experienced his first night taking him on journeys across the country and around the world. From the streets of Uptown Manhattan, Vlad and his friend and partner Ramon Reyes for 20 plus years together in the legacy business, they started a lifestyle brand called Happy Monkey, and it really became a force revolutionizing the perception of cannabis culture through various media outlets, including the Happy Monkey podcast, Monkey Magazine, and Happy Monkey TV. Their commitment extends to advocacy, championing diversity, equity, and inclusion, ensuring communities once marginalized by the war on drugs can now benefit from its legalization. So Vlad, I appreciate you being here. Great to, great to have you and hear your story. It's an honor and a pleasure, Josh. Thank you so much for having me and for amplifying our voices. Hear nothing but amazing things about your platform and really honored to be here. You're a New York staple, just like we are. Well, it looks like you have a fun business, especially with the name Happy Monkey. And I know that when we were talking briefly and from my you know description that you really have your tentacles out in a lot of different areas when it comes to the cannabis industry. So I'd love maybe for you to just start off with how you and your partner got started and really, you know, some of the different things that you guys are doing today. Yeah, um, I'm born and raised in Harlem. My partner's born and raised in Washington Heights. We went to high school together, actually, at a high school up in Washington Heights called George Washington High School. Sure. As I mentioned to you early offline, Josh, I've been in the legacy market for 25 years, since about 1998. And we saw things starting to change a little bit about six, seven years ago, as far as like legalization happening all over the West Coast. And we knew eventually it would hit here. And what happens is my other two partners, Jay and Omar, they had a recording studio around Times Square on 38th Street. My partner Ramon took a trip to Holland, Amsterdam, where he saw the whole concept of cafes and lounges and et cetera, was really inspired by it. We knew that there was nothing like that happening in New York, and we knew that that was sort of what was missing, like a sanctuary for cannabis smokers to come hang out at. So we already had the real estate. He was really inspired by this. And I was like, you know what? Let's give it a try. We got everything to gain and lose. You know, we had the cannabis, we had the real estate. Each one of us had our respective networks because we were all born and raised in New York. Mm-hmm. We said, we'll just invite our friends and start, you know, seeing where that goes. Did one event, took off really big. You know, a lot of people came out. People really like the vibe. You know, it was a great space, 5,000 square feet, leather couches, TVs, music, art, et cetera. Then we started doing it once a week, then once a month, then seven days a week till about in 2019, Forbes called us the Studio 54 of Cannabis. (laughs) We knew we were on to something, Josh, but cannabis was not legal yet. So we knew we couldn't trademark actual product cannabis. So we were like, you know what? There is no real cannabis brand, a lifestyle company that represents New York. All of them are more West Coast based. New York needs somebody to represent them. So that's what we did. We started off first with a podcast that now has over 80 something episodes. Then we started with a newsletter that turned into an e-magazine and that really took off. 
then from there, we started going to conferences and we saw that there was a conference called Canada Gather where we saw people and on the revel, like really gathering and talking about what's happening in the legal world, like stocks and different publicly traded companies. So we were like, oh, so this is eventually coming to New York. And then COVID hit. Then we had to stop doing the events because of, you know, social gatherings. We really focused on the media outlets that we created, podcasts, merchandise, et cetera. Then legalization came up. And at the time, Cuomo was in office and he was leaning towards more of the C's. Right now we have the MRTA. There was also a bill called the CRTA, which was not as equitable, sort of like you know, auction it off to the billionaires, no social equity, no home grow, et cetera. So we knew we had some influence. We had people that we looked up to like Steve D'Angelo and different influential people. Another friend of mine that's one of the founders of Black Lives Matter New York, Hawk Newsom. So we were getting the advocacy bug in us from looking at these individuals. And he said, this is our turn to make our stand for New York. We started a petition to push the MRTA. We got over a thousand signatures. We got hundreds of thousands of people to repost it online. And we feel like we moved the needle to the point that Cuomo was like, who the F is happy monkey? What's going on here? Because we really moved the needle. Then COVID ended, cannabis was legal in New York. We knew we had to mature with the market and we had to come out of the shadow. So instead of going back to the lounge, what we did was, we started doing strategic partnerships with venues and institutions in New York that weren't heard of to do cannabis before. So the first one we did was 420. The first 420 after legalization, we partnered with Bobby Van Steakhouse on Wall Street, right across the street from the stock exchange. Had a big event there where we got, you know, all walks of life of people from politicians to legacy, culture, all kinds of people to get together. And we got a lot of news coverage for that. Following that, there was an institution, I don't know if you ever heard of Josh, called the Van Gogh Immersive Experience. Mm -hmm. sure. They were an international art establishment, and we got to speak with the people that were working in here in New York. They were open to cannabis, and then we did our first above-board cannabis event at their 50,000-square-foot location on the FDR. We sold tickets on Ticketmaster. First night, about a thousand tickets. Second night, about 1,300 tickets. And that got a lot of notoriety, came out in New York Times, Bloomberg, NASDAQ, et cetera, because it was like breaking a glass ceiling where high end art, you know, does something with culture, cannabis, and no incident happened. And people saw where cannabis was heading to and how New York was doing it different. Recently, we just did an event on 710 at the Museum of Sex on Fifth Avenue. On a Monday, we got like a thousand people to come out. And then on the advocacy side, last 418, we partnered with the community board for my community in Harlem, where we decided to do something educational for the community, partnered with Columbia University, because we felt like, you know, these conferences that I mentioned was really pricing marginalized people out outside of 96 to Wall Street. You know, these things can cost, as you know, Josh, 500 to $1,200 a ticket. So we got the Manhattan Borough President, Mark Levine, the Congressman Espaillat. We got the local councilman Abreu. We flew in a doctor, Dr. Knox, 
Rachel Knox, which is a specialist in the endocannabinoid system. And we brought the education to the community on 125th at a Columbia property. We gave all this to the community for free and we had translation services. And that was our way of giving back and showing, you know, the people that do these conferences that they don't necessarily always have to cost $1,200 a ticket. And now we're here. We got awarded two licenses and we're ready to bring our talents to the legal retail market, Josh. Yeah, talk about tickets. That's the golden ticket. So you and your partner, <laughs> I guess, are each card licensees, which gives you the opportunity to, to open up a minimum of one retail location each. So where are you guys thinking about opening and, and when? Well, me, I'm opening uptown in Washington Heights. My partner is opening up in downtown Brooklyn. And we had the opportunity, Josh, of you know, going where the shiny things are, just like everybody else, Times Square, 34th Street, Tribeca, et cetera. We felt like that would be a disservice to who we are. We started this because we want to be an example for our communities, create jobs, show other legacy people that it's possible to cross over to the legal market. And most importantly, destigmatize cannabis in communities like ours, where the last time they remember cannabis, Josh, were people being arrested, people being deported, people being on the corner. So we felt like it was our duty to come back and show them the positive side of cannabis. And how will those retail like locations be different and, and kind of fit the theme of what you've developed at a lot of these other venues? Like how will you make it kind of a consumer experience different from potential other locations? Well, first of all, we understand that at the end of the day, Cannabis is now extremely widely available everywhere in New York. And what separated us is creating experiences. So we will continue to do that on the retail front. We will include as many people of the community as possible, as much education as possible, and also to make sure that we have different initiatives in place where we're incubating different people from the community to follow in our footsteps and be able to do the same thing themselves. So I think that when you put the people first before profits, you know, the money follows. I feel like when you usually, as we've seen many people come into this industry and they have an exit before they enter, that usually doesn't end well. So I'm confident yeah. that as our saying says, Josh, we do it for the culture and not the clout that as long as we keep the people in the community that got us here at the forefront of our North Star, everything else will fall into place. Do you feel that there's challenges opening up retail locations? Because obviously you have that license, but there's so many out there in New York City, particularly that are, you know, they're legal dispensaries. They're selling it, but they don't have the license. Do you see that as a challenge for retailers that are making an investment in opening up? Has that really get addressed? It is definitely, I remember I saw a friend of mine recently in a podcast saying that cannabis is the most highly regulated industry on the planet. And because of that, there are so many different hurdles and so many different red tapes you have to cut through. And it is definitely complex because as we're figuring it out, the regulators are figuring it out and you have to be ready to pivot and adjust at any minute. So it's definitely complicated. And as far as like 
all the different illegal shops and stuff like that. I feel that the biggest remedy for that is, is what's happening right now. The more people like us open up that are of the community that really represent, you know, more than just selling cannabis, the more people will choose to come to get lab tested cannabis right now. When you think about it, there's only 41 stores open and there's anywhere rumored to be between five and 8,000 shops throughout the state. It's really confusing for people because people think that some of these illicit shops are legal and they're not. And the truth is that it's sad because they're not even real legacy people operating these shops. The truth is that I would say a good 80% of them or what I like to call carpetbaggers. There are people that never wanted to do anything with cannabis until this two-year gray market popped up and mm. don't really care about the community, don't care about legacy. They are actually the same people that called the cops on people like me when I was just trying to feed my daughter 20 years ago and now are capitalizing off this opportunity. So I think the more shops open up, the more people like us are able to educate the community that will be the biggest way to combat these illicit stores. You know, you've been at this for a while, but there's still, I'm sure, plenty of people, you know, that you call that were in the legacy part of this industry. And a big part, obviously, is the Black and Latino community. How do you see them having more opportunity to cross over to the legal side and create a real business out of uh, this industry? I believe that it starts with, more people like us being an example of what's possible. Because I say that to say that, unfortunately, you know, black and brown communities have been always gotten the short end of the stick whenever it came to any of these new industries popping up and historically haven't really got the leg up when it came to new opportunities like this. So the more they see people like us being successful, the more they can say, well, I know that Vlad was in my shoes 20 years ago. Look what he's doing. It is actually possible because if they see people just preaching to them from an ivory tower, they see no evidence, anybody that aligns with their values being successful. It's hard for them to leave what they know, leave their livelihoods on wishing on a star without any substantial example to follow. What about your you know, perspective on hiring and training? What are you thinking about when you're looking to staff these new retail locations in your business as a whole? Well, in between both stores, we hope to employ at least 50 people in each store. And the way that we're going about that, Josh, that's a great question, is that we're going to partner with a lot of community associations that already have pools of people of the community to give them the opportunity because that is another major part of what I think that is a myth that people have when it comes to the cannabis industry. People believe that you either have to be a grower or a retailer. And we know, Josh, that just as many roles as any other industry needs, so does cannabis. If you're a media person, security, construction, et cetera, et cetera, there's room for you here in cannabis. And I think that we have to present it that way to our communities so they can see that there are much more opportunities than just being a grower or an operator. And that the same jobs that they do in other industries, they can do here and get paid much more. 
Yeah, it's interesting. You know, one of the things that I think about with the the cannabis retailers that I really, you know, appreciate your insight into is you have all these people now that are getting licenses and the state obviously has a structure to be able to give it to people to create opportunity. But I imagine that doing retail is going to come with a lot of complexities. I mean, you got to figure out where you're going to get it from. And then it's going to look like a lot of other retailers in, in America, which is the more efficiency you probably have, the lower your buying, your buying powers, et cetera. Do you think that there'll be consolidation is the question? Like, do you think that they'll start to be the Dwayne Reeds, call it, that come in and start to buy up the single, you know, individual owned retailers? And then all of a sudden, rather than having all these diverse different owners, it'll become more corporate. Where do you see the future of retail going? Do you think it, it's going to stay in the hands of a lot of independents? Or do you think it's over time, some of these bigger corporations, because you can see it even on the West Coast, there's people that have many, many, many locations. And it's almost like, you know, the model of individual coffee shops or, you know, Starbucks. At the end of the day, when Starbucks opens, you know, they have a huge, you know, company behind them to, to analyze, to buy, to look at consumer habits, to have the apps, to have delivery, all these crazy things. So I'm curious what you're thinking in terms of retail. Do you think it's going to go in that direction? You think it's too early to say? To be honest with you, Josh, you know, I'm always a realistic, practical person. And the truth is that at the end of the day, we live in a capitalistic society. And I understand that. And that is not any individual's fault. That's just the system that we live in. And eventually, when cannabis goes federally legal, what you're saying is a real possibility. That's why when we started this journey and my North Star as CEO and co-founder of this company is my North Star is intellectual property because I believe as those steps happen, the one thing that will last the test of time as long as possible is brands and intellectual properties because mm -hmm. everything else can be duplicated but that is very hard to duplicate. So I believe that that is what supersedes all the state lines, all the global lines is intellectual property and branding. That's why, as you said, we didn't put all our eggs in the retail basket. We actually created a whole ecosystem of a bunch of other different baskets. And the last one we're adding is retail. As you said, you can't leave yourself to the mercy of capitalism as things grow. If you're a one-trick pony, you can get swallowed up as the industry scales up and federal legalization happens. Sure. Yeah. No, no, no question. So we talked about media. We talked about entertainment, retail. What, what do you see is, is next for you, Vlad? Well, right now we're going to start with these two stores, but we will not stop there. And I think what you're going to see, Josh, is that when this industry started about five, six years ago to really take off, there was a perspective, as you said, as far as like the bigger players, the multi-state operators, the big corporations. If I had to give you an analogy, basically the game that was being played was Monopoly. If it was a game and it was a board game, they were playing Monopoly. So what they would do is, Josh, they would roll the dice, 
buy everything they land on, show their investors projections and growth, not profitability, and right. roll the price again and continue buying everything. I think now the game is morphing into more of a game of risk that's based on profitability. And I think investors are not rewarding that whole, I project I'm going to sell a trillion dollars and all that stuff. It's going to be more based on actual profit. And to tell you the truth, Josh, me and people like myself are not used to operating in that monopoly way. We operated used to operating in the risk way. So if I went and got a hundred pounds from you in my legacy days, I could not come back, Josh, and say, I don't have the money, but I have these projections, Josh, that I'm going to sell a thousand pounds. No, I had to come back with the money. So I think that that perspective of actually operating off of profits is going to change the way that the money comes into this industry rather than just rewarding growth with no profits. That makes sense to me. And listen, I wish you and your team the best of luck in, in a successful launch of a retail, which I'm sure, you know, based on your track record, you're, you're not going to have a problem with. But thank you so much for your time and, you know, sharing more about your company. Definitely. I want to thank you for creating this platform and giving people like us a voice. And then for everybody out there, if you want to check out what we're doing, go to happymonkey.com. That's monkey with a U. Look out for us. Once we start opening our stores, we will continue having events where we will continue to show that my belief is, Josh, I'm predicting it here on your show that in five years, New York City will be the cannabis hospitality mecca of the world because the West Coast has mastered genetics and the whole grower culture. New York has always been about brands and experiences and is the hospitality capital of the world. And now we're going to add cannabis. And I think we're going to see experiences and brands at the highest level that the world has yet to see. And it's a great time to be alive here. Well, listen, I got to check out one of your parties because something tells me they're a lot of fun. <laughs> Thanks so much, Vlad. Remember, Josh, you're too blessed to be stressed. Things will get greater later. Always choose happy. I love it. Thanks so much for joining. And to listen to any of our podcasts, visit podcast.schnepsmedia.com or stream us across all major podcast networks.